You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 164 of the Comic Book Informer podcast, coming to you on April 15th. This is Vince. How you doing today, Raj? I'm still fairly livid from yesterday. What I don't happened know. yesterday? You didn't see my Twitter conversation? I d- might have. Yeah, that was a whole day ago. <laughs> the Brett Booth stupidity. Oh, no, I didn't even notice you were commenting on oh, that. Oh, he and I had a conversation. Oh boy, I'm gonna have to look that, into that. I, I don't know. I know you noticed the article as well in question, right? Because I noticed I didn't actually follow it from your link on Twitter. I saw it somewhere else, and then read it, and um, and incidentally agree entirely with everything that she wrote in her critique of that cover. Not the least of which, of course, being the over-sexualization of a teenager. And again, I've raised a few girls, so for me it is a subject that is very, hmm, it touches a nerve. And so whenever idiots defend that, that's when it really, (laughs) really grates against me. And then when we read the Twitter conversations, which I'm assuming you've read them. I went through. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. I went through and read. And when you see the kind of stupidity and, and it was only further proved when I tried to talk to him as well. And Oh God, I, <laughs> I could find the bicycle horn now just ahead of time because I would be swearing for five minutes. Just, Utter stupidity. It struck me that this is a young, privileged boy who has no concept of what his actions represent and who also cannot take responsibility for his actions. And also, the world revolves around him. So he can do things, but it's not all right if other people, the hypocrisy was unbelievable in some of his comments and not just with me. I actually went and read several others as well, just so that I could, you know, make an informed decision about his character, which is complete and utter shit. I, oh yeah, I, (laughs) I had some DC comics I was going to talk about and was excited about talking about and what we're reading. Not today, not today, not no. Not with this kind of... I know that Marvel's no better with having stupid idiots working for them too, but not today after this. At least their stupid idiots have done a better job keeping their mouth shut lately. Oh, uh, I, I was floored. Like, this woman has received death, death and rape threats now. Had That's... he not opened his goddamn mouth and stirred up his little fanboys into a frenzy, then this would not have happened. I mean, she would have gotten some flack, of course, but he just got the troops going and she attacked a cover and the manner in which it was done. He proceeded to attack her and it just went downhill from there. And I just was, again, I was disgusted. He's an embarrassment to our gender. 
it's a pretty depressing time on multiple fronts to be a comic fan because yeah there there's been a lot of stuff going on lately that's just unnecessary and a lot of people need to speak up so that it doesn't continue happening well again something like this and i said too like it, it disgusts me that i've spent years promoting their craft to get people interested in what they do and to which you reply well don't bother promoting me anymore along those lines i said you need not worry <laughs> that is not gonna happen <laughs> you okay like i said i'm quite i've been livid since yesterday okay, uh, well. that's not an exaggeration in slightly less depressing news, just a couple hours ago, uh, the nominations for this year's Eisner Awards were announced. So uh, I saw the, that they'd been announced, but I didn't actually check to see who's on it. And I'm not going to run through everything, but uh, you know, just a few of the standout categories, if you will. Uh, best single issue consists of four comics I haven't read and uh, the pizza dog issue of Hawkeye. So. <laughs> But uh, there's, a, there's a comic. It's actually got a couple nominations from New Paradigm Studios. It's a publisher I've never even heard of, but it's called Watson and Holmes. Ooh. And issue six was actually nominated for best single issue. So I'm definitely putting that on the list of things to look for. Yeah. Because uh, if you check out our movie podcast, Popcorn Ronin, we did an entire episode about uh, interpretations of Sherlock Holmes. So we are definitely both fans of anything like that. Well, the recent one, too, that I had talked about for Moriarty. I absolutely adored. I thought it was mm -hmm. fantastic. Very well written and the art was amazing. So, yeah. All right. For best continuing series this year, we have East of West. Really happy to see that get nominated. That's been really good lately. Uh, Hawkeye, Nowhere Men, Saga, and Sex Criminals. Uh, Nowhere Men, we read the first issue of that and we weren't really all that into it. So, I don't know. Either it's gotten better or it's just one of those comics that we don't like. And... I, sex criminals nothing against the comic i love it but i still continue the thought of you need to be out for a year before i can continue consider you a continuing series oh this is for oh yeah it would be with saga in there yeah too. hmm mm -hmm. best limited series uh we have the black beetle which i've heard great things about have not read it colder uh not familiar with that one trillium by jeff lemire again i've heard great things about it have not read it the wake by scott snyder which has been fantastic and 47 Ronin, Mike Richardson oh, and Stan awesome. Sky. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Best new series, High Crimes. Again, one I've heard very good things about. Lazarus, which I've enjoyed. Uh, Rat Queens, not too familiar with that one. Sex Criminals, uh, again, can't, can't be in both categories, guys. <laughs> and Watson and Holmes. That Rat Queens, I remember I'd mentioned it to you before. I'd asked if you'd been reading it because it sounds interesting. And actually, it was uh, Tart, Renee who asked me just out of the blue the other day if I'd been reading it. And I said, no, I, I need to, though. And she said, it's fantastic. So I went, okay. I'll, I'll I have sure to look to into a few of these for yeah. uh, upcoming episodes. Definitely. Best writer is a stacked category this year. We have Kelly Sue DeConnick for Pretty Deadly, Captain Marvel, and uh, her other works there. Matt Fraction for Sex Criminals, Hawkeye, Fantastic Four, etc. Jonathan Hickman, East of West, Holy Manhattan crap. Projects, Avengers. I, I, seriously. Scott Snyder for oh, Batman, dude. American Vampire, and The Wake. Eric Stephenson for Nowhere Men, and Brian K. Vaughn for Saga. Wow. Pick one. I dare you. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Off just the top of my head, I would say give it to Kelly Sue DeConnick. Hmm. 
because a her work was exceptionally strong um i I'd like the manner in which she writes as well. Uh, we talked about that with Pretty Deadly, that the the way it's written is insane. Um, also, it would be a nice nod to to the female writers in any, I was going to say just DC and Marvel, but to any of them who write for any. And it's not to say that she should get it because of that, because I think she's just as, if not more so, than some of the other writers uh, deserving of it. But it would be something that's appropriate and damn, it should happen. Right now, I'm personally torn between Kelly Sue and Hickman because, of course, they're both fantastic writers. And more so than anyone else on the list, they've done it in a variety of genres yeah. this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we have best pencil or inker or best pencil or inker team, although I guess team doesn't matter because there's only one person named for each nomination. We have uh, Nate Belgard for Nowhere Men, Nick Dragata for East of West, Sean Murphy for The Wake, Nate Powell for March, book one. Not familiar with that one. Emma Rios for Pretty Deadly and Thomas Yeats for Law of the Desert Born. Hmm. Again, that's a tough category yeah. to pick this year. Yeah. Uh, best painter, multimedia artist. Uh, Andrew C. Robinson for The Fifth Beetle, Sonia Sanchez for Here I Come, Fiona Staples for Saga, Ives Vorsina for Thor, Marguerite Van Cook for Seven Miles a Second, and Judith Van de Stael for the, When David Lost His Voice. Uh, the only name I particularly recognize her is Fiona Staples, but I've been reading a lot of Thor. I must have missed a great artist somewhere along the line. Best cover artist is... A really a big category this year, actually. We have, of course, David Aja for Hawkeye, Mike Del Mundo for X-Men Legacy, Sean Murphy and Jordi Belair for The Wake, Emma Rios for Pretty Deadly, Chris Samney for Daredevil, and Fiona Staples for Saga. Legacy. They're, yeah, they're all fantastic, but Mike Del Mundo's work on X-Men Legacy was absolutely next level this year. Yeah, if he doesn't insane. win, I'm calling it a travesty. Yeah. His work was insane. The the covers were so imaginative, and yeah, I love them. Like most of them were frame worthy. Mm -hmm. And as I said there's multiple other categories. I'm not going to break down everything. I just <laughs> I have to throw this out there because it's hilarious. Uh, for best coloring, Jordi Belair is nominated for like 15 different comics. <laughs> <laughs> that dude is everywhere I mean, manhattan projects nowhere men pretty deadly massive x files captain marvel journey into mystery quantum and woody and i know he's done more beyond that hmm. but uh yeah I, we we both had some issues with uh the eisners last year but i i'm actually i don't have that much uh bad to say about this year's lineup no that's a fairly decent lineup mm-hmm. all right and then uh, our discussion for this week you know, Marvel's been uh, cranking up the presses lately on uh, their original graphic novels. It's something they did a lot of back in the 80s and then for whatever reason just kind of grew out of it. I guess they figured the business wasn't moving in that direction. But in the current market, especially when you factor in bookstores and a lot of the other places that some publishers don't want their comics to be sold, it's – if you ask me, getting more eyes on your product is always a good thing and in a lot of those settings – Graphic novels, especially original graphic novels, not just reprints of the single issues, are a very popular way to do that. Uh, we saw, 
I think it was October, the Avengers Endless Wartime graphic novel came out, and I absolutely loved it. And this year, we're actually getting a couple. And the first one we have this year is Amazing Spider-Man Family Business, written by Mark Wade and James Robertson, art by Gabrielle Delato and Werther Deladera. My God, this was gorgeous. I, I was hoping you were going to touch on the art first because I <laughs> yeah I I opened it up and I started looking at it and I hadn't yet looked at any previews of what it was going to be kind of thing so I you know open it up and then I'm and there's that nice little forward there by by slot and I was thinking okay well this will be fun then and then I saw the art and it's like oh my god and I literally was flicking pages just to see like is this the whole issue is this gorgeous oh my god yeah, yes, is this it just is. a flashback or a prologue no it, it is all insane looks like this is like crazy Cra- this is kingdom come worthy like unbelievable yeah i mean i've seen delato do work before but nothing to this level and that's one of those things that i love about the original graphic novel format is first of all from a story standpoint We've seen plenty of stories that work better as a whole than they do as individual issues. And with the graphic novel, you can really play with pacing and a lot of the other things that you can't do individually. But additionally, you give an artist as much time as they need to put out a product and you get something like this. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was nuts. Yeah. We're clocking in at over 100 pages and honestly, every single one is worthy of being hung on someone's wall. Yeah. Yeah, like these individual pages sold on eBay should be going for enough <laughs> because <laughs> they're they're insane, absolutely insane. Yeah, and it's it's painted art too. If you look in the credits, uh, yeah, uh, Werther del Adera did the uh, the pencils. Uh, I guess I'm assuming just like rough pencils, and everything else is painted art from Gabriel Delato, and that alone is worth the price of admission. Yeah, yeah, it is. Moving into the story itself, <laughs> I'm really, I'm actually kind of conflicted about really? this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you uh, start us off here. Okay. Conflicted right from the get-go or conflicted later on? Conflicted later on. I'll agree with you on that, although I'm not conflicted. I, from the beginning, was hooked and loved it. Um. I'm not always a fan of Kingpin in stories, but when done properly, he can still be fun. Not so much him, but how Parker reacts to him. So Mm -hmm. I kind of like that dynamic because you have essentially the immovable force put up against, you know, the scrawny teenager, which is still how a lot of us see him kind of thing. So it's a dynamic that can be fun. Plus King Kingpin has no sense of humor. And so again, you can have some fun there with how Peter reacts to him. And so from the get go, I was, I was hooked in. And then I know we've joked around, especially I like saying, you know, I'm good with having auto around for a long time, longer kind of thing. And I was, I really was that said a good story like this was enough for me to be like, oh, yeah, I have missed Peter. I, I've i missed Peter quite a bit. And I'm going to miss Otto 
big time because we're not likely to ever see that again. So that's, I'm really going to miss that. But man, yeah, I'd miss Peter quite a bit. And so as the story progressed then, I was really finding myself sucked in and they did a really good job with the pacing so that you don't have time to stop and think, okay, is she really his sister? What's going on? Because some of what has happened with, and we'll just call them the Parkers, his parents. I've not always been crazy about this whole CIA thing. Mm -hmm. So I was always good with it just being, you know, normal folks. He was a scientist, but they were fairly normal folks. And then they introduced some other stuff in there and it was like, eh, okay, you put an intrigue where it doesn't really need to be. And then the CIA stuff. And that's when I was like, oh, great. So I was never a big fan of that kind of thing. But well, I, I'm sorry, uh, while I can appreciate that, that sentiment, at least it's never really affected Peter's personal yeah, story. Yeah, true. Like, they, they've, they've just been giving backstory to his parents. And then like, we, as we even see here, Peter's very disconnected from his parents because as far as he's concerned, Aunt May and Uncle Ben are his yeah. parents. And like their lives before they died really haven't affected Peter in any noticeable way. So at, at the very least... If they want to flesh out what they did, I'm okay with it as long as it doesn't change Peter himself. Yeah, but it's fleshing it out so that, again, it's like anybody of importance, even characters that are only referred to right. have to be these dynamic, you True. know, super it, spies. And super spies who have saved the freaking world a few times, it, according it to It does kind of take away a lot of the allure of Peter that, you know, he was just... A regular a normal yeah. kid. Yeah. And I liked that about this character a lot. So that's something that I was never, you know, that thrilled about. Now, again, that being said, introduce the quote unquote sister who, and I love who's in the family business. And you have all of a sudden, like he mentions too, this whole Jason Bourne adventure that he's on being flown to Monaco and everything. And it was great. It was a fantastic spy thriller story that was a ton of fun. The introduction, of course, of Spider-Man there, which has happened before in other places. And it's always one of those things, much like Superman's glasses, that you're like, come on, somebody would put two and two together. Like, oh, look, there's Peter. Oh, look. Spider-Man's in France. <laughs> you know? so, I actually want more French Spider-Man. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> but the moment he's saving her and she sees the ripped shirt and everything and she could see the costume underneath, it was like, oh, it was freaking awesome. It was well done. But in the back of your brain, you're always thinking, this is a comic book. This can't, they, they screwed this up with Civil War. <laughs> and the, and the, the, the next day, brightest day, all that stupid crap thing. So they're not likely to make the same mistake again. So how are they going to retcon this before the final page? And then when you see that, again, Kingpin's working with, what's his name, Mentallo or something? Mentallo. Yeah. Ooh. Then you know, okay, well, that's going to be what happens. And sure enough, it is. But I kind of wish that, especially because it was a graphic novel, that they'd have taken a more brutal approach to how the memories are lost and be that, yes, she actually dies 
And then he again has to deal with the death of, no, she's not his sister, but in that brief time, he kind of was believing it towards the end. And so it would have been another loss for him that's profound on his character. And then just find some way of schmucking Kingpin over the head so he doesn't know, or hell, let him know. I mean... So, yeah, I wasn't thrilled with the resolution at the end. It was way too neatly tied up in a pink bow. But the rest of it leading up until that point, I seriously, seriously dug. Yeah, I I can't say anything bad about the story because, like you say, it was wonderfully paced. I mean, you were along for the ride. Uh, You were right there with Peter. Like, you were feeling his joy of, you know, finding another family member and he doesn't have that many of those left and then again i I mean even still even though she didn't die peter still did lose his sister because you know he had that whole mentality of you know oh you know he found someone and then lost them so that's still a loss that he's going to carry with him the the thing is I mean, I understand that they had to set up Mentallo earlier in the story so that it wasn't this big, you know, 11th hour, you know, deus ex machina reveal at the end for fixing everything. But even if you don't know who Mentallo is, you can kind of figure some things out just by the fact that his name is Mentallo. (laughs) So at least for me, it was waiting the entire time for the rogue to be pulled out. Because when, when you establish that right off the bat, as a reader... You, you know that something's not going to be right. So I was just I was waiting for the for the other shoe to drop the whole time. So I still enjoyed it. But I don't know. I, I, I just wish that that there was some I can't even tell you if there was a better way to go about it. But I, I wish there was because yeah. it would have made this even more enjoyable for me because I, I couldn't fully immerse myself in the story throughout the entire time. I agree. I agree completely. I'm not going to disagree. I was able to let go of that until the the end, essentially. I, I knew they were going to do something that, for lack of a better term, cheesy, corny. Um, I, I figured, yeah, that's what they're going to do. I really was hoping they wouldn't, but I was fairly certain that's what they do. So, yeah, it's, it's you can't really get invested, but the ride was still fun. You know, it's you're on a roller coaster ride. It's still fun. You know, it's not going to fly off the rails, but the possibility is kind of there, even if it's a little tiny. <laughs> and I was really hoping that little tiny was going to be a bullet to the brain pan for his sister. <laughs> as, <laughs> as harsh as that sounds, <laughs> it would have been better, in my opinion. I mean, but as great as the story was, as fantastic as the character were, you said it's still fun. I mean, he oh, fought yeah. Cyclone in a casino in France. He fought a and giant robot. No, hold in on, Cairo. that scene though, when wow. he's fighting the freaking guy in the casino, the art for that—you're oh, seeing the freaking God. chips flying everywhere. Oh. The people, like, oh my God, it was amazing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he he fights a giant robot in Cairo while the kingpin is trying to steal Nazi gold. I it never forgot it was a comic book, and I I love that when you can tell a good story, have great character development, have fantastic moments, but still have that big Spider-Man fun that you know the story really needs to to feel whole. I'm glad that they found room for absolutely everything in this one graphic novel. 
And again, when you're talking about character development, that scene where he's fighting the giant robots, it could have just been a scene where he's fighting giant robots. But no, he's thinking about how this is normal for Captain America to have to do every other day. But for him, it's a big deal. Little things like that, where he's flushing out the story based on other characters in the known universe and whatnot, it goes a long way. And it really, it it, it was ex- exceptionally well handled. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the little things. Would Otto have known to web up, you know, the the heat, the, the the cooling unit on the back of Cyclone's neck, or would he have just wanted to show that he's better flat out? Yeah. You know, it's those it's those little things, and and now we can retrospectively look back and see those little character bits that really made Peter and Otto so vastly different. Yeah, yeah. Although um, Marvel, come on, give I'll give you a year, maybe even two, but what if Superior Spider Man? <laughs> just throwing that out there. out there yeah <laughs> <laughs> and like i said i love the graphic novel format i i always have because i i feel as a story there's just so much more you can do when you're not constrained by that one specific page count every single month and like you really you could have broken this up into individual issues but i think it's it just works so much better as one lump story no, I agree. It was, it was phenomenal. And I'm really looking forward to next month. Uh, we got the, the little blurb at the end advertising the next one that comes out. X-Men, no more humans, where the X-Men wake up one day and they're the only ones left on Earth. And it's written by Mike Carey, who d- did fantastic work on X-Men Legacy. And I've always loved Salvador LaRocca's art. So that is, I mean, you have my favorite characters, one of their best writers, and one of my favorite current artists, yeah, that you might as well just have titled it Vince by me. <laughs> yeah, by me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, really happy with uh, Marvel's uh, current selection of graphic novels. I hope they continue down this path because is that it's, it's something that from a marketability standpoint is vastly different from monthly comic books. And if you can keep it true to the same concept as the monthlies by giving us the same characters the the same quality stories not make them kind of second class i i'm all for it yep all right Uh, well for what we're reading this week i actually did have some dc stuff (laughs) to talk about but uh, you've kind of (laughs) swerved me away from there so i guess we'll save that for a future week uh did you read iron fist the living weapon oh god yeah it's on my what we're reading list (laughs) so go ahead i loved that again talking about artwork kari andrews killed it i mean plain and simple so many simple little things you know like panel layouts and coloring decisions and just flat out awesome looking artwork i loved this comic and then from a story standpoint i remember last year maybe even two years ago when uh, matt fraction was writing defenders and they had first established the the cast and they'd introduced iron fist right after he had a one night stand and it just it didn't feel right like it didn't fit into the story it didn't fit in with you know the way they were establishing the character like it made him seem more like tony stark than it did like danny rand well here kari andrews basically has the same thing but it actually works because he gives the character motivation. I don't want to say, you know, he's justifying his character hooking up with a bunch of women. But when you look at how Danny's looking at life right now, he's demoralized. And, you know, he 
the only time he really feels right is when he's you know fighting people and we see that he even says like he tries to fill in all these senseless moments in his life with other things like he can't sleep so it, for him you know the these random hookups are just you know one more thing that he's trying to make himself feel alive with and like it's one thing it's a thing that in so many other instances I don't know, think it would have worked, but here it made sense for me. It did and it didn't for me. I found that entire hookup interview thing to basically be – I didn't like his side because mm-hmm. it was I, – I see what they were going for, but it really – I didn't think it worked quite as well as you did. And then from I'm, I'm not saying it worked well. I'm just saying that it's probably the best way that situation has been handled in a lot of recent comic books, let's just put it that way. I would agree if they had not made her Yeah. I, her characterization complete was bimbo whose sole purpose was to flatter his ego and sleep with him. That's her only purpose. So as you're reading any bits that she's saying are literally only meant to flatter his ego and to act like a complete slut. So had it not been for that, had had he actually been interviewed by an intelligent journalist who also happened to want a one-night stand, fine, it happens for Christ's sakes, but don't make her this brainless bimbo. She's supposed to be a respected journalist and, trust me, read the dialogue. She's not. Yeah, I, I, I will grant you that her characterization was pretty poor. Yeah, but everything else, yeah, it was really quite good. And I'm really liking the direction that Kari's taking the character of he he is a living weapon, and he's starting to embody that thought process. And it's it's kind of overwhelming him at the point too, where you know he he feels trapped by his own destiny and there's just so many things like i've always loved this character and this is a different approach than we've seen before and i'm not one of those people who's protective of oh every time you use a character they have to have the exact same personality and the exact same approach i know i'm all for different approaches to characters because that's what makes them more interesting and that's what makes comics so interesting when you have different people collaborating on one character over the course of their lifetime it just makes the whole thing better. The only other problem that I have is actually with with Danny in that you start off by reading and he is this conflicted person. Think Batman. You know, very Bruce Wayne, very self-obsessed, conflicted, and dark. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. But then he gets into battle and he's like shooting off Spider-Man quips. Can you picture Batman shooting off Spider-Man quips in the middle of a fight? It wouldn't happen, and it doesn't feel genuine when you're reading it either. At least it didn't to me. Not at all, at all, at all. If you want him to be the brooding hero, then keep him the brooding hero throughout. Because he wouldn't be a sarcastic ass during a fight. It just doesn't make sense. I don't know. The way I looked at it is, the, you know, the brooding hero. That's not Danny. Like he's weighed down by all this stuff. So when he's in battle and he forgets about all the other things that are bothering him, that's when his true character really does shine. Because that's what we've seen of Iron Fist over the last forty years. Is you know, that's more his true character type. So it, I, I was okay with it. Mm. We'll agree to disagree on that one. Mm-hmm. And then I also just want to add in: we had that uh, 
little afterward by Kari Andrews where he gave a huge shout out to Jim Steranko, who's of course one of the, the godfathers of the comic industry and just everything he broke down about how he wanted total control over the comic. Like the only other credit in here, and I apologize, I don't have it in front of me. I think it was uh, Joe Carmagnana who did the lettering. Yep. All the writing, all the pencils, inks, colors, absolutely everything else was all Kari Andrews. And I, that actually really excites me to see the pure vision of one singular person on the page. Nothing against, you know, team approach comics, but this is, again, a very different approach and we're going to get a very different result from it. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then the only other one uh, that I wanted to talk about this week was we had Deadpool number 27, the big uh, wedding issue. This was actually a lot of fun. Of course, the wedding itself was great. Um, I mean, come on, he had Nightcrawler officiating. and But even then, it tapped into that storyline we read a little while back where, you know, of course, Kurt just came back to life. And Wolverine told him about the camp out in Korea. And Deadpool's like, yeah, you know, I'll take you to meet Kim one day. And so Nightcrawler wants that closure. It it It, it just makes everything that much better when you see the the progression of the storylines and i mean it was of course a lot of fun you had you know the bachelor party and just it was a blast but the last got 50 pages it was a huge comic where they brought back all of the major writers that have done deadpool stuff over the years and each one had their different spin on the character, of course, and callbacks to their particular storylines that they did over the years. And I've said this multiple times that Joe Kelly is the best comic book writer that doesn't write comic books anymore. <laughs> he came in with a one five-page story, and Joe Kelly is really the writer who made Deadpool a character. And he went from you know a, a Rob Liefeld one-off creation to Joe Kelly actually developing his personality and his backstory and all that. And I'll be damned if this five-page story is not one of the best things I've read this year, <laughs> Deadpool or otherwise. It was, it was touching. I mean, it was you. You can tell Joe Kelly has been through some stuff in his life based on not just his Deadpool writings, but a lot of the other stuff. There's certain themes that keep coming up. And it was just damn good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's really what I got this week. So uh, take it away, Roger. Did you read uh, Invincible 109? I, 109? I thought they were up to 110. Are they? Yeah. Oh, damn it. Okay, I well, haven't read 110 yet, but I know that just came out. Okay, that's probably why I haven't read it yet. I'll have to read it. But 109, you read that one though, right? Yes. Dude, that was freaking awesome. <laughs> this continues to be, I mean, there's been a few points where it was a little cliched kind of thing, but you get issues like this where it's like, man, it's just a lot of fun. And Mark has to try to impersonate the the Mark from that universe that's in charge uh, of the world and then gets Robot to give him a hand fixing things and, the, and then gets, uh, what's the name of the dude that he, he gets... The oh, the Mahler twins. Yeah, the, although there's just the one. Yeah. To make a clone of him for Robot to use. It was it was a ton of fun. And once again, art absolutely insane. When that that chick throws the baby down oh. <laughs> and it's turning into the monster before it hits the water, you're like, oh my God. So 
Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I liked it. A good resolution to what, you know. That's the thing, too, that I like with him. And off for so many other comics, that would have been like an eight-issue story yeah. arc. Yeah. Like when you're looking at a lot of other series when they do a parallel universe or a thing like that, and somebody's stuck there and how they come back, a lot of times you're kind of groaning at how it's handled. But in one issue, they figured out a way for him to get back to his universe. Well, we assume. I haven't read 110. Uh, but, yeah. And it's, it's so well handled that it's like, I buy it. <laughs> I buy everything that just happened here. It would work. <laughs> Go with and, it. And also the understanding of, okay, Mark's version of Robot just went through this whole complicated plan to try and take over their world. Well, he just left another one in charge and in an, an even more powerful you know, starting point. So how much you want to bet that comes back to bite him in the ass? Yeah. But as as a fun little aside, though, of course, you know, ever since uh, the Winter Soldier movie came out, we've had all the little uh, memes going around of the Hail Hydra and this and that. Well, uh, I think it was at Emerald City Comic Con. Ryan Otley actually did a quick little sketch of Black Bolt whispering Hail Hydra into Captain America's ear. <laughs> and of course, since it's Black Bolt, the result is the other side of Captain America's head, head being blown across off. the page. <laughs> So I've been sharing this with friends, and for so many of them, this is their first introduction to Ryan Otley and just, you know, the ridiculous stuff that he does. So the past week has been me sharing the praises of Invincible and the absolute insane action aspects of it with a lot of my friends. I think I talked a few into them into buying it. Give me a link to that picture, by the way. That's sure. That sounds awesome. Um, I, too, had a bunch of DC stuff that I wanted to talk about. Seriously, my folder is full of what we're reading with DC stuff. But more importantly, actually, have you kept up with uh, Serenity, Leaves on the Wind? I read issue two. I don't think I've read issue three yet. Okay. Well, two is is great because we see all the stuff with Jane leading the ship to Mal and then that disappointment that Mal has in him afterwards. And then, I mean, we saw that in one of the episodes of Firefly where he, um, he does something. I can't remember what it was that he had done, but he gets left in the airlocker because, or the airlock, I should say, because he had put the, the, the crew at risk kind of thing. And you saw that, that disappointment that he had in himself yeah, that was when he tried to sell River back to the, the Federation or yes, the Alliance yeah, or whatever yeah. called. So, yeah, you saw the disappointment that he had in himself. And, and it was a really profound moment, a great acting job as well. And so you kind of get some of that here in, in issue two, um, as well as a crap load of other stuff going on with, with Zoe and how she needs to go to the, the, the medical station and stuff like that. Like tons of stuff happening, but... Just the moments with Jane were the ones that I was just absolutely floored. Oh, you're a fanboy. I so am. I, I'm not <laughs> trying to hide it. So, and then issue three was a lot more having to do with uh, with River as well because she had gone into that self induced coma so that she could see if she could discover more secrets that they can then use as a bargaining chip to get Zoe back. And then you have the, the dude, which I can't remember his name, who stowed across to take down everybody in the crew. And I love that it's Kaylee that takes him out. I just, I loved that. That was awesome. <laughs> um, so yeah, three was equally, 
equally good. I, I absolutely loved it. Tons of tension. And then leading to, I won't spoil it because you're going to read it, leading to, it's like, oh, now I really cannot wait to read for. And it's it's very much, if you are a fanboy, if you've watched the series as well as the movie as many times as we have kind of thing, then you're going to get so much more from these little reveals because when you see specific characters, I'm not going to say who it is, but there's a character that appears at the end of three and you're like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> so it's like, as a nod to fans of the IP, this series is hitting it on each issue. Cool. All right, so we'll leave it at that. All right, then. Well, as for this week's new releases that we're really looking forward to, Marvel is bringing us Amazing X-Men number six, which I believe is Jason Aaron's last issue as writer. Uh, we're getting a relaunch of Hulk with number one. We also have Miss Marvel number three, Nova number 16, the final issue of Superior Spider-Man with number 31. And we're continuing the third relaunch, I think, at this point of the Ultimate Universe with Ultimate FF number one. From that other company, we have Batman number 30, Wonder Woman number 30, and uh, the launch of the new Sinestro with number one. And honestly, I really didn't see much else coming out from any of the other publishers this week. I don't know. Like, there's a bunch of stuff coming out, obviously. It's just nothing that I've really been following. So uh, if there's definitely something that you think we should be reading that uh, we're missing out on, feel free to contact us. Uh, you can find us, of course, at comicbookinformer.com. Leave us a comment on the show notes or just hit us up on Twitter at CB Informer. We're always looking for new stuff to read. And we've done several episodes at this point based on recommendations from our listeners. And it's something we really enjoy. Always checking out something new. So hit us up if you can. If not, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. 